Hello and welcome to the Licensed and Queer podcast, where we're on a mission to uncover why James Bond appeals so much to LGBTQ plus people. Why not see 007 from a different angle? I'm here today with Mark Edlitz, who I imagine most people watching or listening to this know that name very, very well. Um, good afternoon, Mark, where I am. Morning for you. Just got lunch. Just, just past noon for me. Mm-hmm. Good well, evening thank, to you. Thank you. Uh, it, was, it was your idea to do a follow-up, actually, to the launch for your latest book, uh, which we'll get onto in just a second. And uh, we were kind of throwing some ideas around and this is what we came up with. So we're going to be talking about the continuation books. Uh, Mark's actually going to run through what that actually means and how we got to this point in just a moment. But the main part of this podcast and video is going to be us selecting, uh, perhaps for people who haven't read all or even any of the books, some of the books that we'd recommend for different moods that people might be in, different types of Bond stories, because I think whatever kind of Bond fan you are, whatever your preferences as far as the films go, there's a Bond book out there for everybody. So, and what we're going to end up doing is we're going to end up choosing out of the, it's more than 40 continuation books, isn't I, it? I, I, say, I, say 50, I say 50 works, so that includes short stories. Mm-hmm. So I say 50 plus works. Yeah, absolutely. And that includes novelizations as well. But yes. without the novelizations, it's, it's at least 40. So my argument always is with this, there's not exactly uh, a flood of Bond films at the moment. And it looks like there's going to be a little bit of a drought for some time to come. So why aren't people diving in with these continuation books? Um and that was a really tortured water metaphor. I've just managed to get all the way through uh, without without mixing it up with something else uh, there. But um, but yeah, that's always my philosophy. Is that kind of where you're coming from as well, Mark? Exactly, exactly so. Uh, and we're, I should add that that uh, to anyone watching or listening, uh, David is. We are trying to not repeat repeat too much of what we covered it, with with uh, the Bond experience. So hopefully, this is a, a new angle and a new approach to to looking at these things. Yeah, so if you haven't already watched the launch for Mark's latest book, and in fact, it's at this point I'm going to show it on screen for the people watching the video and for those people listening to the podcast version, it is James Bond after Fleming, the continuation novels. Uh, if you don't, if you, I, I'm sure you won't mind sharing this. We, um, you were actually kind of bouncing title ideas around with, around with me before publication, and we yeah, you, 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 had, you, you, had, you absolutely had some fun ones. It's so coming up with a title for a, a book is, mm-hmm. is 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 such a hard task. Uh, uh, so I was grateful to to play the game of what what what, what might we call this thing. Some of them were a bit more R-rated than PG thirty. <laughs> so I, I think you went with the you went with the safe safe one. I think we'll, we'll just yeah. keep. We'll just keep the R-rated ones to ourselves, Mark, yeah? <laughs> At least for now. So if you haven't read Mark's book, if you haven't watched the launch um, on David Siritsky's, uh YouTube channel, uh, where we launched live uh, with Calvin Dyson as well, um, uh, it's it's something of a tome. Uh, Mark has um, managed to uh, cover every single continuation piece of fiction uh, following uh, Fleming's uh, death. And it is a heroic undertaking, I'll be honest. And in preparation for this podcast, you'll see mine's getting quite well thumbed now. In preparation for this podcast, I did have to refresh my knowledge of a few of the stories just to make sure that I'd chosen the right ones. So it's a it's a book I recommend to everyone, whether you've read all of them, uh, like I have, or if you've uh, not uh, picked up a Bond continuation book before. And it, I'll be honest, sometimes I, imagine, well, I have this conversation with a lot of people. I was having a conversation with some lovely people about this last night, actually, over dinner. And it can be quite difficult to know where to start with the continuation books because there are so many. And that's where the idea for this episode came from. So what Mark and I are going to do eventually is we're going to pick seven books each. And we haven't shared these with each other in advance. So we might have chosen some of the same books or we might not. We might have 14 recommendations by the end of this podcast or we might just have seven if we're on exactly the same page with everything, which is very, very unlikely. Um, so the categories we're going for are not in terms of quality. And I think one of the things I love about your bookmark 
is that you don't rate the books. So, and I think you're like me, you're very conscious that different people will enjoy different things. So you don't want to shut down people's enjoyment. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the book, you know, as you mentioned, it's over 500 pages long and it's broken up into su summaries of each story. It's broken up into observations and commentary on what each author, I think, is trying to do. Mm. And the, the third section of each chapter is what each book tells us about Bond in terms of his personal history, his missions, his past loves, his, his personal life, his attitudes, his mission protocols. And each book and each work uh, comes at it from a different angle. And the, the point is not that what, that there is an ideal way to tell one Bond mm -hmm. story, that there's different ways to access Bond. You know, just like just like some of us love Moonraker and some and some prefer For Your Eyes Only in terms of the movie Bond, those yeah. are two very disparate ways to tell a Bond movie. So, uh, which many of the fans accept, not all, but many fans accept. So why can't we apply that to these books? Uh, and maybe, maybe is the theory. Maybe there's not just one way to tell a Bond book mm -hmm. and the pleasure is... Uh, in in watching how these different authors tell it their way while having to be true to to, to their interpretation interpretation of what plumbing is. And to that end, the seven categories that we've got really kind of play on that. That there are these are the books I the I've purposely chosen as different as possible uh, my seven titles. So the categories we're going to get onto in a minute are the one to read in one sitting. If you want to read a Bond book and you want to do it in one go, these are the ones to go for. Uh, the one to read when you're in the mood to squirm in your seat, so not sitting comfortably. Uh, the one to read when you want something fantastical. The one to read on the beach. I've realised this list has a sort of rhyming thing going on. Seat, beach, there you go. St stick with it, folks, stick with it. The one to read when you want something psychological. The one to read when you want to see Bond from a different angle, as in the perspectives of the characters, and the one to read when you want something fresh and original. So we've not gone for kind of very predictable categories. We've really had to think about the books that we're going to put put in those categories. But before we get to that, um, Mark, if you wouldn't mind kind of leading us through, and you, you've done a wonderfully succinct job at the start of your book of um, con uh, condensing the entire history of the continuation books um so we're not we're not going to go through all that in detail because by the book folks if you haven't got it already uh but could you sort of give us a potted history of how we got to this point yeah i think it's really important to understand how they came about so that we can understand what we've got and, wh and where they've been and where they're going uh and I'll, I'll try to be brief which is not always my strong suit um Fleming uh, died in 1964, and after he died, you know, they published The Man with the Golden Gun and some short stories, and then the question became, well, what do we do with James Bond in literature? And many people, including his widow, thought, maybe we don't continue with Bond. Maybe Bond ends when Fleming, when Fleming put his pen or his typewriter down. Everyone knows that so much of Bond's likes and personality and worldview comes in part from Fleming. So how could another author do that? And we're, we're talking about the 60s, which is pre the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where we're used to, you know, different creatives taking over after another person. So it, it, it did seem like it wasn't a terrible idea to stop. But um, there were a few factors in keeping it going. One, it, it helps keep his keeps his legacy alive. And then the other reason is that there were other people who were trying to tell James Bond, unauthorized James Bond stories, including in different countries. So one of the one of the things that it did is that it protected the character and the copyright uh, and it kept the Ian Fleming family, the estate uh, from overseeing it. So there were three different things happening, we'll say simultaneously or, or, or in quick su succession. One, the, the they they looked at a children's book uh, by called but 
you know, uh, double three and a half, and the, the, it says that it's RD mascot, which is a pseudonym. So that was the first Ian post Ian Fleming book by another author. It was not Colonel Sun. Uh, and so already they were thinking of how can we do these things differently? And then, of course, they picked uh, Kingsley and Miss to write Colonel Sun while also um, having um, a contract with, with Jenkins to do Per Fine Hounds. So that was immediately after Fleming's death. First, we got 003 and a half, then we got Kingsley Amos. And then there was a little period where there wasn't much going on, where we, we where we had two novelizations in the 70s and then the, the biography. And it wasn't until Gardner picked up and then Benson after him that we got books more or less on a yearly basis. Mm. Not, not completely true. There's a break here and there, but a, a Bond book a year as opposed to whatever period we're doing this, where, where they're where they're spread apart and they're not one author taking over. And so they did that for a while with Benson and Gardner. And then they took a pause in that approach and said, we're going to do things differently. Uh, and during that pause in the approach, then they started to do, you know, the, the, the young uh, bond by Higson and then the money penny diaries. And then when they came back, they said, we're going to try a new approach. We're going to pick one noted literary author, have them do their version of Bond, and let's see what we came up with. And so we get one that's a period Bond and one that's contemporary, and then we go back to period. And it looked like we were going to continue that. Anthony Horowitz was intended originally just to be one-off, but through a lot of circumstances, he, he, he wrote three. And now we're in a period where we're going to continually get uh, a, a noted author writing a, a Bond novel, but we're also going to expand the lens. And I, I have a gut feeling we'll talk about this further uh, and, and talk and look at Bond and the double O division through mm -hmm. other perspectives. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that was admirably concise, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> really impressive. Um, so um, let's get stuck into our categories and we'll, we'll kind of delve into the history side of things as we go through, I think, because all of my selections, they range over about a 50 or 60 year publication period. So and I've not doubled up. I've gotten no author has got more than one book. Oh. So I've set myself those rules. Did you set yourself any rules? No, I didn't. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I like another minute to review my list now. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. No, no, let's go through it. So the one to read in one sitting. Now, there is an obvious candidate for this one because the shortest Bond novel, and some people argue a novella, is on His Majesty's Secret Service. Is that what you went for? Uh, so, yeah, there's two. There's a couple of different ways to to look at it. Do you do the, the shortest where it's where you could sustain it in one sitting or... Or do you try to look at it through a different way, which is what could be suspenseful and, and, mm. and will power you through? Mm. And so, I'm, I, uh, so my 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 tushy test answer is on His Majesty's Secret Service, mm -hmm. but uh, I, I think I'll go with um, uh, High Time to Kill ah. as, as my suspense. What, what what have you got? Yeah, I went through a very similar thought process. I love this. We're both being as awkward as possible um, <laughs> and setting ourselves all these crazy rules even though we don't need to um yeah i almost went with on his majesty's secret service because i think most people would be able to read that regardless of um kind of you know reading speed how you you know some people like to read more slowly than others i think you can comfortably read that book in four or five hours if you just want to i like i like what you just said a tushy test so it's like how, i presume that's how long you can actually sit you know literally sit for that duration of time um I've gone with, I didn't go for that one. It's interesting you went with High Time to Kill because I thought about that one as well because it's such a brilliant work of suspense. I went with uh, the first of the Anthony Horowitz books. Oh, See, I think all of the Anthony Horowitz, uh, Horowitz books lend themselves, if you've got the time, to reading in, say, a seven or eight hour block. I think you can, you can do that. And I've tried to do that with each of them, but I definitely remember doing it with Trigger Morty. So I went all the way through from cover to cover because um, I had the the day off work and it was just I started in the morning and then finished sometime in the afternoon. Um, and for the reasons you've said, basically, um, it's it's a really suspenseful book, uh, just like High Time to Kill. Yeah, I have I have With a Mind to Kill as third on the list for, okay. for, for that for that reason. Mm -hmm. uh, and. 
because it is so suspenseful and and it, and it and there it feels like the book has a ticking clock in terms of the the suspense dragging you through mm -hmm. on his majesty's secret service literally does have that ticking talk clock yeah and you know each chapter has a version of you know when the event is going to happen uh may 4th maybe um and so you you see the months and the weeks getting closer and closer the, the, one of the reasons I picked High Time to Kill is because of the whole thing about not these novels need suspense and they need they need a ticking clock. But Mount, what, what's so fun about High Time to Kill is that it's you can't climb a mountain too fast. Mm. Other, otherwise, you otherwise your body would react negatively mm. and you get all these these sicknesses so, and you would die. So he's got a ticking clock at the same time. They have to stay at, at these different levels as they go up the mountain for, for like, you know, days or weeks. And so you've got this ticking clock adventure where, where there's a race to the top of the mountain, mm -hmm. but they're also dealing with, you know, altitude sicknesses or whatever you call those diseases or sicknesses. Uh, so I, I thought it was, it was, a, it was a fun problem for Benson to solve. How do we amp up the pressure while being true to the dangers of mountain climbing? I think way? I think it might be appropriate now. I was going to bring it up in a couple of books time about suspense, because one of um, I'm not going to give away which one it is. But in one of the entries in your book, you do a really nice summary of what Hitchcock said about suspense and that you give the audience just enough information. Um, as you go through, do you just want to allow, because I think both of us have yeah. cho chosen very suspenseful Bond novels, which not yeah. all, but some Bond novels are more suspense oriented than others. But yeah, do you just want to kind of, yeah. you've said what? ticking clock and I've immediately got that scene from Hitchcock with the bomb on the bus. Exactly. So yeah. it, this is my, I've written a few interview books um, and it, it's my favorite interview book of, of all time. It's Hitchcock Truffaut. And in it, as many people probably know, it's Truffaut talking to Hitchcock about every single one of his films, and not so much necessarily the meaning, but the the, the mechanics of it. And in yeah. this interview, uh, Hitchcock talks about the difference between suspense and surprise. Surprise is you and I are having a conversation and a bomb blows up and the audience doesn't know about it. And they go, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. Mm -hmm. Suspense is you and I talking but the audience knowing that there's a bomb in the book and yep. the book will go off in three minutes. So as we talk, the the audience is experiencing something that that we are not and the suspense is ratcheting up. Yeah, I totally agree. And one of the books that I, at least one of the books that I'm going to mention uh, that I've chosen is very, very suspense oriented. Um, I think for me, for the reason I went for Trigger Mortis um, and it's interesting, you kind of alluded to High Time to Kill. There are parts of that which would be quite difficult to film, I think, because you do have that, you know, Bond has to take breathers, quite literally, as he's going up that mountain. And a couple of the other books that I've selected, um, and you you note this in your book a few times as well, are probably not very filmable. And I think High Time to Kill is one of those. Um, I don't know to what extent Trigger Mortis is filmable, if there was ever a period setting. I mean, it is if people don't know, and it's important to say at this point, I'm not going to give away any major spoilers. I uh, haven't checked with Mark in advance whether he's planning to give any... No, we're not. neither of us are going to give away major spoilers plot-wise. But Trigger Mortis is set actually after Goldfinger, so it's like an interqual. I think that's probably the technical term. So it slots into the Fleming timeline and it does have an unused Fleming screen treatment as part of the plot of Bond having to protect a race car driver from a Russian driver. Um, and then the the that's kind of relatively small story expands into something absolutely massive involving New York City. And I'm not going to say anything more about that. But there are some elements of that which I think will be quite difficult to film, not least. Um, and this is a minor spoiler for the opening section of the book. Um, Bond still being in a relationship with Pussy Galore uh, and Pussy Galore, be, Pussy Galore being kidnapped and strapped naked to some ancient stone circles. So it's definitely got some um, interesting elements that would be quite difficult to replicate on screen, I think. I think one of the reasons I love this book as well is because obviously there's the whole uh, problematic nature of uh, Pussy Galore engulfing a kind of 
turning from a lesbian to <laughs> to uh, sleeping with James. And in this book, again, minor spoiler alert for the start of the book, she decides that she'd she'd rather spend her life with a female race car driver instead. So I I enjoy that element of that book as well as all the suspenseful elements. Um, should we move on to our second category? Yeah, absolutely. The, the one to read when you're in the mood to squirm in your seat. So <laughs> I think there are, although James Bond stories are often thought of as comfort food and you can happily wallow in a James Bond book and relax. You know, we've got the beach reads coming up in just a second, which is sort of the antithesis of this. There are some Bond novels which are actually at least segments of which are really hard to read, are usually involving the torture elements. Um, so um, I, I had several candidates for this one. I almost went with the last of the Young Bond novels, which has some really horrible stuff in it for a book ostensibly written for children, uh, but the by royal command. And I almost went as well with Raymond Benson's Never Dream of Dying, which has, a, and in fact, there's an illustration of this by Pat in your book. The horrible, horrible sequence where Bond and another character, spoiler alert, who's actually who he's actually he actually does go all the way with that character. He's almost blinded, or he's partly blinded by having parts of his, I think it's his, his cornea burnt away. So horrible laser eye surgery. And as someone who's had laser eye surgery myself, I found those segments really difficult to read. But I, in the end, well, I'll reveal I'll reveal what I went for. What was your, what was your thought process? My, my, my thought process was similar to yours. I, I, yeah. I first thought about, um, you know, physically, when you say make you uncomfortable or squirm in, in your seats, mm. I was thinking about Never Send, Never Send Flowers, the the, the um, Gardner one is about serial killers. And, and that's, it's pretty gruesome in terms of some of the, the, the deaths that are depicted in beheadings. Um, I also thought about... Um, make for when you when it was squirm in your seat or make you uncomfortable i also thought deaver because it was a it because it was a it's a modern relaunch of bond mm. where, um where it's where it doesn't rely on anything else that you know mm -hmm. about bond so i thought that would make the um, yeah-esque fan uncomfortable and then i think i settled on a, a just just good old fashion torture and and colonel's son for, for that torture oh story. you know what mark ah. <laughs> i've gone with i've got so many editions of colonel's son uh but I've it's nice one. Gone. this is the book club the lighting's not bringing it here but this is the book club edition um and it does actually have bond's hand tied strapped down oh, there and it actually has the torture sequence so that's actually depicted on the cover. Yeah. So do you want to just elaborate on the talk? Yeah, you know, there's also a sexual element on that where yeah. where there there is a woman who is sexually humiliating Bond. Uh, but but while it's what's happening is that Bond is Colonel Son wants to torture Bond just for the sheer enjoyment of it, for his yeah. sadistic pleasure. Usually with a torture sequence, you're trying to get information out of Bond. Yeah. You know, tell me where this is. What do you know? That type of thing. This th there, and theoretically, if you provide that information, they'll either let you go or kill you. Colonel Sun wants to do neither. He he just wants to make Bond uh, feel pain, and then and he gets a kick out of it. And yeah. so he he takes. I've never really been able to to put right find the right word for it, but like a skewer, and he also puts it up his nose, and then in in, yeah. in his ear. And this is, of course, um, quoted in, in Spectre, the, mm. the Daniel Craig film. Yeah, in fact, some of the dialogue from Blofeld and Colonel Sun are very, very similar, aren't they? So if you've not if you've not read Colonel Sun, but you've seen Spectre, the torture sequence in Spectre is, is very close to this. And that's that's actually been acknowledged by the screenwriters, hasn't it? As their inspiration. Yeah, like you, I find it really creepy because it's just it is sadistic. And at the end, um, it's, it, he son does try to there, you're right there is a sexual colonel son says there's nothing sexual about this and then you know obviously kingsley amis who 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 wrote colonel son although robert markham on my edition uh uh yeah uh, an early one um he was very conscious of Casino Royale, I think, because he even references testicular torture. And, you know, the obvious thing would be to go for the genitals. However, that wouldn't get into who the essence of a person really is. 
So I'm not going to spoil how Bond escapes from this absolutely excruciating pain. And it is excruciating reading it, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you know, as we're talking about all these, this torture, I'm, I'm thinking of, of Benson's, the scene where you're talking about where Bond has to bite like a rat to take so that it can kill it, take its skeleton and, and fashion that rat skeleton into a makeshift knight, knife. And so that's that's pretty. I mean, that's just gruesome, uncomfortable material. Yeah, that's actually very quite a bit similar to uh, the by royal command thing as well, with Bond having to actually use a human body and dig into that. And it's while it's putrescence and whatever. If you, I'm sure you remember the scene, I mean, but I'm not going to spoil anything. It's it's extremely <laughs> disgusting. There are quite a lot of horror elements in some of the continuation books, and I think probably the closest Fleming ever got to that. You might have another one in mind, but is you only live twice? Because you've obviously got the kind of gothic nature of the castle and all, all that side of things. And there are some pretty horrifying things you only have twice, like throwing people into acid baths and, and all that sort of stuff. So I think horror has always been a streak through Bond. And so it's nice to see some of the continuation authors going down that route, although it's not my kind of preferred thing. But sometimes if you're in the mood for it, it's there in the it's there in some of these books. Well, you know, it's funny. Let's, I mean, let's move on. But it's funny as we're talking. I'm thinking about how Fleming. We, 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 we have to process these new books through Fleming. So when we think of torture, we always look at, you know, what are the new authors doing? But we're like, we also look at how did Fleming start this? And so everybody's riffing on that carpet beater. Yeah. Torture. I'm sorry. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. 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 No. So the third category we're going to go for is. The one to, a bit lighter, this one, I think, uh, although we'll see what you've chosen. The one to read when you want something <laughs> fantastical. I went through so many different possibilities with this one because there are fantastical elements in Fleming that get extent, you know, um, like I think probably the example that always springs to mind for me is the giant squid battle in Dr. No. It's like surreal. We've kind of crossed that line into, oh, my God. Um, so I went with for this one, uh, the John Gardner pick for me is because uh, I've limited myself to just one book per author. Uh, I went for for special services. So um, what do you remember as being without spoilers, Mark? Do you, do you think there's a particularly weird element, fantastical element of for special services? Which one do you think I'm going to hone in on most? It, it, uh, uh either a death or a relationship between a character is pretty yeah. fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm going to not go to the relationship or the death, actually, <laughs> if I, if I'm thinking about it, because right, that spoils the whole book, uh, uh, I think, if I'm thinking along the same lines as you. So, yeah, there is a, well, let's let's just put it this way. Blofeld is back. Yes, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I feel, I feel a bit like uh, the opening of Rise of Skywalker, where it's like Palpatine lives or whatever it is. <laughs> it's like, How? Um, fortunately, it's the, this is resolved far more satisfactorily to my mind um, the, than that particular resurgence. And and again, I don't want to spoil anything, but um, and you highlight this in your your commentary in your book. There's a kind of grammatical sleight of hand in this book that, <laughs> that to happen, which yeah. again I think would be impossible to film, but is really really satisfying. Um, the elements that I thought were just really fantastical. Uh, you've got to go with the mind control ice cream. Oh, I should have picked that. I should have picked that. Um, so controlling <laughs> people by 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 drugging ice cream and Bond ends up being controlled. Or yeah, I'm not going to say any more because it will spoil the story. Uh, I know what you mean about the relationship, which I because it's on my list as well, and I'm not going to spoil that either because it is a bit kind of ooh, ooh. um and a villain with translucent skin, so you can see their bones. Yeah, yeah. So that book has some. Re I I really enjoy that book. Um, because it just it just keeps piling on the strangeness as it goes through. It's like yeah. I think John Gardner's first book, License Renewed, was kind of quite down to earth, to be perfectly honest. Um, and then I think he just decided to put as much weirdness as possible into his second one. <laughs> no, oh, that, that those are that's a good pick for the reasons you said. Uh, yeah, especially the mind control ice cream. Um, but yeah, and when you talk, you know about unfilmable for a variety of reasons 
uh, what like you know when we talk about you don't want to film the you might not want to film the Benson one because also you'd see Bond the whole time he'd have to be covered up in like mm. in like big puffy clothing and and you mm. wouldn't see that you know that's why or, or in this where a bit of literary sleight of hand sustains the suspense these are why you don't need to film these I don't want to say you shouldn't film these novels or continuation novels, but why they are good in the form that they're in. Totally agree. Um, for something fantastical, and I guess I'll be brief, um, I, I was toying with Strike Lightning because mm. Bond is wearing the, he's got the steampunk, it's it's James Bond steampunk was yeah. what was Cole's uh, creative spark. And so, you know, they're, they're fighting in these robot, high-tech weapons yeah i went with hurricane gold mm. um by higson just because i i think the 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 island of criminals is fantastical and an island of criminals where there's a maze that you have to go run through to survive to get out that's populated by you know creatures is also fantastical um uh, but also has as um has its roots in Fleming. I'm sorry, what you about to say? Yeah, yeah, I actually think the Higson Young Bond books are some of the most sadistic of all the continuation books. Um, and I think that was Higson's way of kind of saying, yeah, these these can be read by teenagers, but they're actually proper James Bond stories as well. He didn't ditch that say, you know, he couldn't really put much sex in them, so but he brought the sadism. Um, so, yeah, they, they are quite intense at times. And in fact... Uh, one of the Higson books is actually my pick for the next category. So the next category is the one to read on the beach. And I went with uh, Higson's Blood Fever, which is mostly set in the Mediterranean. It's set in um, Sardinia, but it starts off, and this is um, perhaps it's more relevant for me living here in the UK, but it starts off with a chapter in the Mediterranean and then kind of goes to Bond at Eton. Um, and then it becomes sunny again. So for me, it sort of follows the trajectory of going on holiday. And I also think I love that this book has some really like horrible elements to it. This book has massive scale. I think of all the Charlie Higson young Bond books, it has the kind of biggest scale in terms of the villain's plot. The ending is just, again, probably unfilmable just because it's so massive. Um, but it starts off quite small. So it is a great kind of escapist journey. Uh, for me so for me that would be my top pick if i was recommending uh, a bond book for the beach how about you i i i i toyed with for special services just because it seemed like a good mystery element a good fun mystery to solve uh while beach reading the, the idea of how is blowfield back back uh mm. i think i picked forever in a day Mm. Uh, by Horowitz it, 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 in part because I think it's fun to it, I, I love I mean in part because of the cover where it's it's where you see the 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 it's it's got this boat cutting through the water um I'll go and get it just with the, the video staring at me <laughs> there you go and and there's something about it where if you, if you're on a vacation, you want to read about a a, a glamorous place, and, yeah. I, and I thought that I, I so that that was one of the driving elements for it. Yeah, no, that that's a really good pick, actually. Yeah, that'd be a really good recommendation as well. Um, okay, ah, next category. We're on to category five is the one to read when you want something psychological. So maybe not the most obvious beach read, something a bit more kind of dark. Um, I went with, and going back to what we were talking about suspense earlier, this is, I think, in your book where you write about suspense and the Hitchcock theory about it. I went with oh, Benson's yeah. Double Shot. This is my Benson pick. I went with Benson's Double Shot, which I only reread about a year or so ago, and I've forgotten just how good it was. It's... It's so psychological for those of us who really like the and I'll be honest, I'm drawn more towards the psychological Bond stories. We said everyone's got their kind of preferences and I love these sorts of things. The fact that Ian, without spoiling much, um, but he has an injury on the previous mission, High Time to Kill, a uh, head injury. And as well as there being some obvious physical trauma, he's got depression and anxiety. And the, actually the descriptions of depression, and anxiety are so kind of 
um, are so accurate. And the fact that he starts seeing this is only in the first couple of chapters, so it's not a spoiler, but he starts seeing visions of Tracy and things from his past. So it almost kind of prefigures. I know Tracy's not there in the Daniel Craig films, but those films are constantly obsessed with kind of Bond and his haunted past. But this was doing it back in the early 2000s. What did you go for in terms yeah, of technology? No. I, I might have gone for a double shot, but for the for the for the sake of we're having a chat, because I, I think that I think that's spot on. I, I think Boyd solo could also mm. work because you get into I, I think the first line is the equivalent of James Bond was dreaming. Um and so he he Boyd uses um the Bond's dream, James Bond was dreaming. Uh, uh, Boyd uses Bond's dreams to get into Bond's psyche and his past, uh, and what makes him tick. And you know, just, you know, seeing these early deaths and these early killing of a man, and 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 what's changed him. Uh, so I, I think I think uh, Benson's double shot works as as, as does Boyd solo, but for for different reasons. I, re I really wanted to fit Solo into one of these categories. <laughs> it is actually one of my favourite continuation books. I know some people are not as big a fan of it because they think the plot is very unbond-like. The fact that he gets he gets involved in essentially waging a war um, and almost taking on a sort of military role in that. So it's like, and I, I, I quite like that though. I do too. I, I like it because... You know, we all, you know, Bond had a military career mm. and we never see it in a direct, oh. we rarely see it in a, in, a, in a direct way. So it sort of made sense like, oh, here's this aspect of Bond's personality that Fleming has established yeah. that, that he's using in an interesting way. Uh, Solo is a tough book just in, in terms of it's based on real world events and you, you see real brutality in in it uh and what's also fun about solo is that it's also on bond's 45th birthday he's yeah. he's celebrating his birthday and so you catch bond in that in that interesting moment where theoretically double o agents have to retire when they're 45 um although um as as kim sherwood says that's only a, a, a euphemism it's not that they are they have to retire. It's it's just that they're normally dead by then. Yeah, they tend to get <laughs> killed by then. Kind of the average age, perhaps, um, which someone dies. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I also quite like about Solo that sort of world. It's got a bit of the world, which is only in all Bond books, including some of the Fleming stories. But there's a sort of world-weary cynicism about politics and Bond trying to keep out of politics. But he realizes that even though he's completed the mission... Yeah, I don't want to say any more because the ending of that book is really good. No, I'm glad you picked that one, Mark, because I felt really bad leaving it out. It is one of my favourite of the continuation books. Um, let's go for the next one. And I really had so many candidates for this one. I thought actually this was a really obscure category. And then I realised this actually happens quite a lot. Um, so the one to read, this is a bit of a mouthful, so bear with me. The one to read when you want to see Bond from a different angle, i.e. you're not usually, I mean, all Bond stories, stories by Fleming are told omnisciently so you do get other characters points of view but I think some of the continuation books especially some of the spin-off books take take yes. that to an extreme so you almost kind of get an outsider's viewpoint looking on at Bond so which one did you go for for this one well I only wrote down one but now what you're talking now that you're talking I I very easily could have uh put down the money punny diaries which mm. uh I, are not on this. Oh, did you that, put it down? That is what I went for. <laughs> right. Which yeah. I, I love. And so let's talk about it, especially since you put it on it. it there, she put, she, she's, I, I think of it as, as a playing cards where you have Ian Fleming's That's deck true. on one hand and you've got the Money Penny Diaries on, on, the, on the other hand. And she's got this Money Penny Diaries story and she folds it into, Fleming's continuity so it's a little bit of both at all times uh and it's such a good 1960s thriller um but I did and we'll talk we'll, I'll, I'll pass it off to you in just a second 
I I put uh, double or nothing mm. because the whole book is about what I love about um, uh, yeah there you go the, what I love about double or nothing is that it's it's completely inaccurate to say that Bond does not appear in this book even yeah. though he is the he is the MacGuffin and he is the thing that everyone's looking for he's missing presumed dead but he is totally present throughout the book we see him in flashbacks but and related to this question, we see him through different characters' perspectives. Everybody in the book has a, a personal relationship to Bond, but the personal relationship is different for each character. So, so it could be a romantic one, it could be a professional one, it could be from another double agent. So you're seeing Bond and what he's brought, what James Bond has brought to these other people's lives through those different characters' eyes. Why'd you pick uh, Money Penny Darius? Well, first of all, should, oh, we just do the, should we do the last category together as well? Because okay, yeah, yeah. Let's smush it together just in case we end up. Did you pick the Money Penny Darius for your last one? What was the last one again? So the last one is the one to read when you want something fresh and original, because I think that qualifies for that one as well. It really does. Um, I had a I had a tough time with this one. Mm. I, 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 either, I, it's either. Um, Divers Carte Blanche, which, yeah. which is is somewhat controversial with some fans, mm -hmm. um, because it does it, it fresh and original. It's original because it, nobody's used this approach where Bond doesn't, where it's it's a new Bond story that doesn't rely on any other Bond stories mm -hmm. previously. Which is to say. He he starts he, he 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 says forget about everything you know I'm gonna write the first Bond book and it's not a sequel to you know Casino Royale or anything it's not a sequel to any of the Flemings it it sort of presumably takes place before them and he doesn't discount anything that generally speaking he doesn't discount anything Fleming wrote uh, he just saying this is how it starts um, forever in a day could also work because. Mm -hmm. uh, it, this is the, this is another this is how it starts Harwitz says this takes place right before uh Casino Royale and this is how James Bond became James Bond um and then but finally I'll go with Pearson as fresh and original Ooh. because he it's a it's a biography of it's not literally a biography because mm -hmm. it doesn't really take the form of a biography mm -hmm. it really but it's called a biography but it, it's different from, it takes a different form than any other uh, uh, Bond novel. Yeah. Nice. Um, I think working. it's quite interesting. We've lumped all these books together at the end. And I think, um, yeah, there's just so much to unpack here. I think for me, though, <laughs> you know, the overriding thing is here, there are, there's actually quite a lot of innovation in Bond stories. People talk, and I think this with Fleming as well, people say there's a formula but Fleming was constantly innovating. And that's why I think these books are so, so interesting because you've got all these different approaches to tell stories. So if we just kind of go with Moneypenny Diaries, I, I genuinely so, so love these books. I know when you talk about this in your book, they were sort of marketed as like a, and I hate the term, but chick lit romantic fiction, you know, and you can see that in the cover design. The more, this is the first edition, I think, but the more recent, um editions i think they're out of pay they're out of print on in paper at the moment but you can get them on ebay and stuff oh. like that um you know, my the, version is yeah the later versions are much more obviously like spy and new 60s kind of iconography very almost breakfast at tiffany's type kind of figures on the front type thing which is still kind of very obviously skewing to a to a female audience whatever that means but these are these are proper thriller stories and I think some people just can't get past the cover, to be yeah. honest. So just in terms of perspectives, if I've got this right, if I remember correctly, um, so essentially we get the point of, we, we get Kate Westbrook, who's actually the pseudonym of Samantha Weinberg in real life. And she's writing from the point of view of Moneypenny's niece. Uh, but also we get Moneypenny's diaries and Moneypenny is also wondering whether her father was a spy during the war with Ian Fleming. We've got all these, you said it was like a house of cards and it's yeah. so, and it sounds really complicated, but it actually reads really well. Yeah. And you've actually got, and again, this is verging into spoiler territory because it's in the second half of the book, but 
Um, I wrote an article after I came back from Cuba. I read an art. I wrote an article all about Bond and Cuba and why Fleming never visited and why Bond only kind of shoots in and out sort of thing. Whereas actually, this story has him and and Money Penny on a mission, getting embroiled in the Cuban Missile Crisis. I'm like, it's a it's a, an amazing idea. Yeah, these are proper, as you said, these are proper spy novels. This is not skewing to anything. Okay. If you, you know, if, if you're a Fleming purist, uh, th these are for you. Yeah. Full absolutely. stop. And then you mentioned the authorized biography, which again was almost um, one of my picks. Um, my husband, Anthony, loves this book. He hadn't read it until recently in the new edition here. Uh, but he was saying, why have you not included that one in the category? So, um, it's, and again, a lot of people, because it was out of print for quite some time, a lot of people just haven't read this. So I'm really happy that that one's back in print. Why do you like this one in particular, Mark? Well, I, I have such a different... I look, I, this is the one I got in Grand oh, yeah, yeah. It's just I've like, got it, a really it's old so version somewhere. Yeah. Um, I, I like it because it's 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 breaking the form. I I, I like that there's enough leeway where we're not just getting we all we all presumably want you know you know get make a traditional bond novel mm. put it somewhere on the fleming timeline uh bond gets a mission and th that's what most of these books are mm. so it, it it's fun when you could when an author can break the formula while still trying to be true to some aspect of of Fleming. And so this I would this is not a continuation novel in, in the truest sense of the world, but it is written with love and affection for mm -hmm. Fleming and his writing. Yeah. Uh, and if, if you do this one more degree to the left, it becomes parody. Mm -hmm. Um but it 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 somehow stays on the good side of of, of good taste and meaning you know good choices yeah absolutely and what you're saying about carte blanche um i know it's a bit it is quite divisive that book because yeah. it's essentially press the reset switch so none of it's essentially like the daniel craig film series you know if you we let's not get stuck into the whole silly argument about bond and continuity because the two don't mix very well. Uh, but you know, it's it's that kind of idea, isn't it? They press the reset switch. He's got a new background yeah. you know, and everything like that. But I for, I re I remember really really enjoying that when I read it for the first time. I need to revisit that one actually. And then um, finally, of the ones that we've just brought up, and you kind of touched on, um, I totally agree, um, the, the fact that James Bond has vanished, apparently, but everyone's talking about James Bond. James Bond is very much a character in this novel, isn't he? Yes, yes. So, yeah, I mean, that's what people, you know, sometimes I'll see people say, I won't read it because James Bond's in it, not in it, or James Bond without James, a James Bond novel without James Bond doesn't make any sense. Um, and that's not what this is. This is a James Bond novel with James Bond in it, who is also the the MacGuffin. Yeah, and this definitely comes under the fresh and original category. I can I can appreciate you know that some people might, you know, that's why we included like the beach read version earlier on. You know, certain the one the version the bonds that you can you want to get through in one sitting. Sometimes you don't want to have to think too much while you're reading a Bond story, and that's why we kind of started with those sorts of stories. But I thought it was good to end with these sorts of stories because actually if you've read you know 20 30 40 50 if you include Fleming you know or even more than that if you've read that many Bond stories I don't know about you but sometimes I am in the mood for something just comfort food yeah. but sometimes I want something that's a bit more kind of you know actually does make me think a bit more and you certainly can't read that in one sitting or or, no. or, or, I, or I can't it's too, it's too intense for a start, too emotionally intense as well. There's just so much going on. I mean, even get, getting up, some some people, I think, go into this book going, Q's a quantum supercomputer, you know, and it's kind of... The, there's it, a lot of ideas. It's jam-packed with ideas. Yeah. There, there's ideas on top of ideas. And I, this doesn't quite answer anything, but the audiobook is also... I've read the book several times and I've listened to the audiobook several mm. times. I've done both. But the audiobook is a is a great way to appreciate the dialogue mm. in this, which I think is also another strong mm. fun suit. It, it's it's very witty dialogue. 
Yeah. Uh, I particularly like the way that it, um, and several people have done this as well. So John, it, it kind of re, it reframes MI6. So even back in the 80s, John Gardner had a female assistant to Q, um, you know, but kind of trying to reflect the modern world. And although I've purposely jumped around time periods with my picks here of about 60, a 60 year period, it's really interesting to see where the, wherever you dip in in the continuation books, how reflective they are of that time period. So I think that's an additional layer of enjoyment. And Double O Nothing brings this right up to date. There was actually, funny enough, literally the day we we're recording this, um, the head of MI6, who's on Twitter, by the way, if, you've, <laughs> if you want to follow the um, head of MI6, his name's Richard and he's on Twitter and he, he mostly posts kind of things about recruitment. But he was saying, did you know that the real life Q, because they kind of like playing at the Bond Association sometimes and sometimes not so much, uh, but the real life Q is actually a woman. Um, and although Q isn't a woman, but a supercomputer, which is actually even kind of more out there um, in, in Double N, I think. Um, yeah, I think I think sometimes some people are a bit more kind of resistant to those sorts of mi changes, mixing things up a bit. But if you if you don't like that sort of thing, there's a continuation there's a continuation novel out there which is as hopefully we've given you some 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 feelers for today that uh, that definitely is for you. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the whole point of this is that you know there's fifty plus works um, between traditional. James Bond novels and spin-off series and novelizations and young bonds and and money penny uh the reason I and they're all in the book chronologically uh, in my book they're chronologically because mm -hmm. I didn't want to um say one type of James Bond story is more on the surface valid than another type yes you might you the, the, not you a person might not like novelizations for example Mm. Uh, but they're they're just as worthy in the in the canon. Um, so all this to say that there's 50 plus works. Uh, there's short stories. There's a, a novella. Uh, there's a lot of Bond novels out there. There's probably something that that you'll enjoy if you're a Fleming purist. Thank you for listening to this episode of the License to Queer podcast. Mark and I really enjoyed talking about the continuation books, as you can probably tell. There's something we're really passionate about, and hopefully, if you've not read them or you've not read many of them, we've given you some inspiration to start or continue your journey through them. If you miss the launch of Mark's book on the Bond Experience YouTube channel. You can check that video out um, on David Zeritsky's channel. We were also joined, um, in addition to David, of course, we were joined by Calvin Dyson and Joe Darlington. And I'll put a link to that video in the post for this podcast on the Licensed Quit website as well. Mm -hmm.